everybody and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. And for those of you joining us on YouTube on Patriots Press Pass, I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And tonight we are going to start by recapping the Week 11 Sunday slate. We recapped the Patriots win over the Falcons in a show on Friday. So you can go back and look on the podcast feed or on the channel to find that show. In this show, we're going to talk about some of the games that went on yesterday. And then we're going to field your Patriots questions for hopefully a good portion of the hour here. But let's start with what happened yesterday. And Alex, uh, it's week 11. They don't hang banners for being in first place in the AFC East in week 11. But it does feel good. It feels a little bit different in a lot of ways uh, from how it has in the past with the Patriots' domination to have the Patriots sitting atop the AFC East in week 11 after not leading division at all at any point during the season a year ago. Well, they did. They did after week one. Remember the bills were, well, they were tied for the top of the division. Were they? I yeah. Thought Buffalo I is one and okay. Um, It feels good. And you know, this, this goes back. We're going to see, um, there was something I called the Brady Belichick effect, which is basically, the Patriots the teams would would play themselves into self fulfilling prophecies against the Patriots. It's basically how twenty eight three happened, right? Right. They'd have the game in the bag, but because you have Brady and Belichick on the other side, teams would psych themselves out. They wouldn't do what they needed to do. They'd become so worried about it that you know bad things would just happen to them. Obviously, it's not the Brady Belichick effect anymore, but you don't you think it's in the Bills' heads a little bit? You think it's in the Bills' heads a little bit? Not just they're not in first place but the team in first place is the Patriots like that I think is in there. I think teams around the league, see this coming, see what's coming. And the Patriots have to do their part. You can't forget about that. But I think this team has been so dominant for so long that especially with bill, there is still a little bit of a psychological effect where, you know, the Patriots chasing you is different than the chiefs chasing you or the bills chasing you or the chargers, or the Ravens or whoever like bills different. And the Patriots are different. And I, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out because yeah, I was talking to one of my friends this, friends this week who's a Bills fan. Um, he actually called me yesterday after the game and asked me to help calm him down. And I was the wrong person to call. I took a massive victory lap. Um, but, you know, part of, you know, what I told him is, you know, if the Bills are the team we were told they were, the team that you – and not you, like you, you, right, like everybody you. said, and the yeah. math nerds loved and all of it. If the Bills are who we were told they are, and Josh Allen is this legitimate MVP candidate and not a fluke from last year, like, you know, everybody yelled at me for suggesting they will steamroll the Saints on Thursday. This right. is pure will. The Bills are a more talented team. It's a short week. There's every reason they should win that game. If they struggle, even if they win close, if they struggle, that is a massive sign that the Bills are not ready. And I think falling out of first place is part of the mental effect on that team if they do come out and lay an egg on Thursday. So I don't want to rag on the Bills too much because oh, I don't want to speak too not? soon. There's a lot of season left, right? And a lot Oh, we happen. don't have to do it projecting-wise, but I think right. that some things have been established. I think yes. last year was them playing above their talent level. I think for Josh Allen last year was an anomaly. I, I feel comfortable in saying that at this point. That's not saying the Bills can't win the division. They absolutely can. They're still talented, but right. they're not. 
the best team in the AFC like they looked like last year. That was a fluke. I, it was. I, a fluke. I don't. I don't think that they were playing above their talent level last last year necessarily. But I do think what it speaks to, and this is the point I wanted to make about Buffalo in general, is they watched that team last year. And they saw that quarterback, Josh Allen, was he 24, 25 years old? And they just inked him to a six-year contract extension. The Bills thought they were going to dominate the AFC East for the next decade, right? They thought that they were going to be a dynasty, maybe not win six Super Bowls like the Patriots did. Oh, they thought they were going to win 10. Get out of here. They thought they were going to win 10. They bought that freaking billboard on Route 1. They bought that freaking yeah. billboard on yeah. Route One. They thought what they thought. Okay, right. let's not let yeah. them off the hook. I'm here. not letting them off the hook. They thought that they were going to dominate this division for years to come. And what we saw is that, in a lot of ways, a lot of teams could speak to this, right? If past Super Bowl winners or teams that have appeared in Super Bowls, talking about the Rams and the Niners and the Eagles that beat the Patriots in 2017 in the 2017. Super Bowl. 2017 Jaguars. I've right, gone through this list. Jaguars. We've had this conversation. Sustained success is a lot harder in the NFL than people think it is because the Patriots made it look so damn easy with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So the the boasting and the and the thing that I think is is the most fascinating is that the Bills truly felt like they were going to dominate this division for a decade. The, the players bought it. Like, I think the players yeah. bought into it, not just the fans. Right. I know I'm kind of going off on the fans, but you're right. I think the players bought into that. Yeah. Now, after, and we're going to talk about blueprints here in a second. And if the Colts gave the Patriots hey, a blueprint and. Quick pause. Cause you, you were li- yeah. listing off all those teams. I love this in the comments. Are the Bills, the 09010 Jets? Maybe. I mean, different differently built obviously right i mean right but but yeah like those types of teams that felt like dynasties that felt like they were going to rattle off multiple division titles and be in the afc championship game every single year and when we revisit this in six weeks and seven weeks uh, into january into the playoffs maybe the bills do turn it around right who knows who knows but the point is is that they have a a battle on their hands with the Patriots for this division already, already a year after Brady leaves Belichick hits the reset button in one off season. And we're right back to battling it out for the division with Buffalo. And when you look at across the board, now talking about some of these, uh, I know you hate the nerds, Alex, but talking about some of these advanced metrics, efficiency metrics, the Patriots all of a sudden are leading the league in a lot of these metrics, right? Like DVOA football outsiders came out today, depending on what happens tonight with Tampa Bay, who's also up there in the DVOA rankings, the Patriots are their favorite to win the Super Bowl right now by the math, right? They're the favorites to win the Super Bowl. That that's incredible that we're talking about this. I wanted to pull up this graphic real fast. I just tweeted it out, but I just think it, it puts into perspective This is the Patriots in EPA on defense and offense during their five-game winning streak relative to the rest of the league. Look at the Patriots are in a different stratosphere, right? They're they're all the way over here. There's children that watch this show, man. You can't put up something that dirty. Look at this. That is, uh, you're making you're making me feel a kind of way right now. I don't don't know about doing this on the air. Lines that you see here are tears, right? That's how they, they this site 
breaks it up. It says, you know, NFL team tiers. And again, this is since week seven during the five game winning streak. The Patriots are two tiers above everybody else in the rest of the league. And because they're in the absolute top right, they are first in offense and first in defense during this stretch. And so what is bio, this of, of oh EPA per play? Okay. Yeah. So by a lot of these metrics, whether you go by EPA or DVOA with football outsiders or, you know, ELO ratings or whatever you want to use on a play per play basis, the Patriots are the best team in the NFL in a lot of these metrics eyes. I'm not ready to go there yet. In I'm this not, span, in this span, in this span, but also DVOA football outsiders weighted DVOA. They're the best team in the league all season long. Cause that, that takes out some of the first three weeks, first couple of weeks and puts more of an emphasis on games in recent weeks. But I, I just, that that's the biggest thing to me is watching this unfold yesterday. You mentioned the, the Patriots aura and those types of things. You watch all of these teams lose games. They shouldn't lose like the Titans losing to the Texans lose players to injury right? You know, you see guys go down in these games and it does, it it feels a little bit like the good old days in New England, where the Patriots are winning this war of attrition. The Patriots now are all of a sudden we're getting into November, late November into Thanksgiving week. And the Patriots are the team that's going up and up and up, right? I mean, this is how we've watched this movie for 20 years. And that's pretty cool. We're, 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 We're just talking about right now, there's still a long way to go. I want to discuss these games that we saw yesterday, and I want to start with the most recent uh, opponent for the Patriots, obviously, with the Titans against the Texans. I, and I rewatched this game this morning, and in all actuality, the Titans more or less dominated this game until Ryan Tannehill decided to to throw a bunch of picks that he had no business throwing, right? I mean, they, they yeah. outgained them. 420 to I think it was 190 or something like that in the game uh, they possessed the ball longer they almost tripled them in yards but what we did see if you're a Patriot fan looking at blueprints right what can the Patriots take from that game from the Houston Texans the blueprint tells you that you can bait Ryan Tannehill and you can get him to make some mistakes as a traditional drop back passer when he doesn't have play action, when he doesn't have Derrick Henry to hand the football off to and the weight of the world is on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. You can get him to make some big mistakes when he's under pressure. Yeah. I, you know, Bill said it this morning, you can't count on the Titans to turn the ball over four times, five times, whatever it was. But I think what you're seeing too is Ryan Tannehill very quickly here has had to adjust you, you lose Derrick Henry, you lose Julio Jones in the span of a few weeks. AJ Brown gets hurt, and all of a sudden he's working with a, a, you know an entire skill position group that he hasn't really worked with a ton, at least not in this sort of setting. So I think that's what you're seeing undo the Titans right now. I don't know if it's on Ryan Tannehill so much as you know it's the uh, you know the, the meme where it's like Will Smith standing in the living room and there's like no furniture or anything. He's just like looking around confused. Yeah. Like that to me is it sums up where the Titans are at right now, at least offensively. Where, you know, not that I think Ryan Tannehill is great. I think he's good. He obviously didn't have a good performance, but I think he's looking around for familiar face to throw the ball to, somebody he trusts to throw the ball to, and there's nobody there. There's nobody on the field with him because they're all hurt. So 
we'll see what happens with AJ Brown this week. It sounds optimistic right now, but who knows with these things. Um, but they won't have Julio Jones. They won't have Derrick Henry. We know that. That that that's the big difference to me right now with the Titans is they just they lost everybody. They lost everybody. They lost all their playmakers. I think they're down a couple linemen too. Like it's just it's a lot for for Ryan Tannehill for Arthur Smith to game plan and then perform when you have so many moving pieces in such a short span of time, especially this late in the season. I, that's a huge ask. That's a monumental ask. And I'm not making excuses for them. That Houston team is horrible. They should have won that game. Yeah. But I, I just, I think that's where they're at right now. I think it's just, there's nobody, you mentioned kind of confusing Ryan Tannehill. You know, it's a lot easier to confuse him if, you know, we talk about these one read quarterbacks. He doesn't have a read right now. You know, if he's dropping back, who realistically is he looking at? Who is yeah. his trustworthy guy in that huddle? He doesn't have one. It's kind of like what Cam Newton had here last year. And, you know, not that Cam was necessarily a world beater last year at times, but you could tell there were times where he was affected simply because of who was around him. I think Ryan Tannehill's experiencing some of that right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers, and the biggest thing for Ryan Tannehill when he is on his game with Derrick Henry in the backfield is play action. He's been one of the best play action passers in the NFL over the last couple of years, and they've been able to really turn his career around especially with moving pockets, right? Uh, bootleg actions where they allow him to get out and throw on the move. But in the three games that he has played without Derrick Henry, he is averaging six and a half yards per play action attempt. With Derrick Henry, it was 10.2 yards per attempt. So that's almost a four yard difference. And what you're seeing is that these teams beforehand you had to put eight guys in the box right you have derrick henry there's no way you're going to stop him with six or seven guys in the box you have to put the eighth guy in now they're able to keep those safeties back a little bit and make play action the most important thing that they're trying to stop on first and second down if adrian peterson or, or uh you know some of their other backs uh, like jeremy mcnichols or if deontay foreman's in there if one of those guys runs for 100 yards 125 yards against you then so be it right it, but with henry he would run for 200 right and he'd break right. off a lot a 70 yard touchdown in the process so those were backbreaker type things this team now they're not a threat to run the ball in the same vein they're not a threat to throw the ball with play action so it's forcing Ryan Tannehill to be a drop back passer. And they're getting into these spread things uh, where they're putting him in the gun. They're putting him in empty a lot and they're spreading the field and they're trying to get him to just dink and dunk his way down the field. And he did that pretty successfully against Houston. He threw for over 300 yards in the game, but then Houston was able to apply some pressure in certain situations to get him to throw turnovers. They ran a couple of trap coverages that he threw into that were a couple of the other picks and they were able to just, get enough plays over on him that it didn't matter that they gave up over 400 yards of offense because they had so many turnovers in the game. So in one sense, I thought that watching that game again, the Titans thoroughly outplayed Houston for most of the game, right? It was, it was four or five plays that separated right. that game. But you look at some of the things the Patriots could take from it. I do think there are some pressure stuff that the Texans were able to do and then kind of rotated on the back end as well with the trap coverages that were a little bit more vulnerable for Ryan Tannehill than what you might expect from a veteran quarterback. But it is fascinating to me. It's an extremely small sample size, but it's really fascinating to me how different their offense is stylistically 
without Derrick Henry. You just, that under center game, uh, 12 personnel play action off of the run game. It just doesn't exist for them right now. It's, it's a lot like the, the Browns when they came in here in week 10 against the Patriots, right? When they had to go away from their running game and put the game in Baker Mayfield's hands, it feels like it's going to be a very similar game on Sunday for the Patriots. So I think that's a really good point because without Derrick Henry, Browns and Titans, very similar, both sides of the ball too. Yeah, you're, you're very similar too. A lot of the same routes, a lot of the same concepts. Right. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's Thanksgiving. We all know what that means. Football and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website, to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. And it's not just football. Bet Online has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, we are stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving which it kind of should make you now the difference is Titans have a much better coach, but let's rewind real quick. You're, you're not, you are surprised the Titans offense looks different without Derrick Henry. I'm surprised that I'm surprised that they've been so ineffective off of play action without Derrick Henry. Yes. Because I, I think in a lot of ways, look, they played a Houston team last week out. So remember when the Patriots played Houston, how hard those Houston linebackers bid on play action. I yeah. think Mac threw almost 11 yards per attempt off play action against the Texans when the Patriots played them a little while ago. And the, the Titans couldn't get anything going in that, in that respect. And, and this maybe speaks a little bit too much to the nerds, right? The nerds will tell you, that it doesn't matter who's back there, that they can still run play action and it will still be good. With the Titans, it has mattered a ton that Derrick Henry has not been back there. Maybe four yards per attempt difference with Henry versus without Henry. I don't care the size of the sample. It's multiple games at this point. That That is right. a noticeable, noticeable difference. That Probably no other back in the league has that kind of impact on play action passing. Yeah, because there's no other back in the league as good as Derrick Henry. And I'm gonna, not going to sit, you know, we, we've had this conversation many times. I'm not going to sit yeah. here and tell you that, you know, every single running back is, is, you know, there is something to be said for the some running backs are interchangeable. And I think that that's more a yeah. case of more teams are using back by committee now than anything else. But Derrick Henry's a game changer. There, there are game changing running backs in this league, regardless of what the math says. There are game changing running backs in this league, and Derrick Henry is at the top of that list. Yeah. And we'll preview the Patriots and the Titans on Friday. But Alex, we've talked about this a little bit off the air. This feels like a very, very winnable game for the Patriots. The Titans are have a good defense, especially of late. They've played a lot better run defense and they've kind of rounded into form on that side of the ball. And they played well against Houston in the in the on the defense side of the ball as well. Uh, they got kind of let down by the offense so many th that many turnovers it's kind of hard to hold the fort and they still only gave up what 22 points or whatever it was so defense not a problem in Tennessee so we'll talk about that one on Friday let's talk about the Bills though against the Colts whether you thought the Bills were for real or not getting blown out at home 41 to 15 by Indianapolis was a hard one to predict for sure and and the way that the Colts did it 
this game to me feels a hundred percent like a blueprint game for the Patriots. One that they will watch yeah. on both sides of the ball and see how do they run it down their throats? How did they confuse and stop Josh Allen on the offensive side of the ball when the, when the bills had the ball. And a lot of this was actually building off of what Jacksonville did to Josh Allen a couple of weeks ago. And that seems to be, in a weird way, the Jaguars might actually get the credit for the team that that kind of broke the Bills, right? Which is yeah. crazy given their record. The Colts did it as well, basically playing a ton of cover two, uh, two high shells. The Bills have no running game. They're not a threat to run the football, so you don't have to worry about the light boxes. And you play those two high safeties. You keep guys over the top as Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders, and you force Josh Allen to dink and dunk and be patient and hit anticipatory throws over the middle. And those are all things that he just doesn't really want to do, right? I mean, he's not a guy that wants to check it down every single time. He wants to rip it. He wants to throw deep. And a few times in this game against Indianapolis, he tried uh, to push it down the field and he got caught. Yeah. And I, you know, we talk about this a lot with the Patriots and their kind of overall defensive strategy of, if you kind of just give checkdowns all day, some quarterbacks will get frustrated, right? And just yeah. make bad throws because they just they feel uncomfortable not throwing the ball down the field. Josh Allen doesn't have the patience. He doesn't. He's going to throw the ball deep. That's what you saw. The Colts were giving him opportunities underneath, and he just didn't want anything to do with it. Right. He wants because he knows his margin for error is that small that he needs to hit on big plays. And I don't know why it took a year and a half to figure this out. If you limit the Bills' big playability, and maybe it's because they have less of a rushing game this year. Yeah. If you limit the Bills' big playability, they can't dink and dunk. They, you know, Ben don't break is the worst thing. Like they can't comprehend that for whatever. I don't know if it's the math. I don't know if it's Josh Allen. I don't know what it is, but yeah. the Bills can't move the ball down the field five yards at a time. They, 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 I don't, I don't know if they can't or they won't, but they don't. The and, guy that's supposed to be there for that is Cole Beasley, right? He's supposed to be the chain yeah. mover, the Edelman Welker type underneath the defense when the defense is taking away the deep ball to Stephon. But even Diggs. they're sending him 15 yards up the field. Yeah, I think so, a big, I think a big problem with what you see is Josh Allen has a lot of physical tools that are really, really good, and his accuracy is much better than what people expected it to be at the NFL level. But when he has to anticipate a receiver coming over the middle on a slant or a dig route or something like that. And he's got zone defenders dropping underneath those. And he's got to throw the guy open on the move on the other side of the, of the zone dropper and anticipate that window. His accuracy has been off against the Jaguars. It was off on Sunday against Indianapolis. So he's a C because he's got such a cannon. He's a C it throw it type of guy, right? He wants to see right. the guy get open and then he's going to throw the football down the field. And he also has an, a, a, instead of just hitting those windows, instead of just hit, hitting those underneath throws, he tries to extend plays with his legs and play playground football at that point and try to hit the broken plays. But if you have a fast defense or if you have pass rushers that are athletic and, and are ready for that sort of thing, like Indianapolis does, or even Jacksonville did because they had a, have a bunch of athletes because they have so Josh many athletes all the time. Right. Uh, they're able to, to smother the, that type of play, but he does not want, and he's got a lot of strengths to him, but Allen does not want to sit there in the pocket and hit the eight yard slant into the second window with anticipation with accuracy with timing all that kind of stuff that's not his game 
and, right. and if you play these zone coverages effectively enough and you force him to be that kind of guy, then he's still an inaccurate quarterback in that sense. But this goes back to what I've said all year. And honestly, this is why Mac Jones was picked 15th overall. Because as exciting as all that other stuff is, it's not sustainable to win if you can't hit a quick slant route on third and five. Yeah. It's just, you might win some games here or there. And the Bills stacked them up last year. It's not sustainable. It's not realistic. We've seen it with Mahomes this year toward the top of league in interceptions. We're seeing it with Josh Allen right now. Teams don't value the basics. And that's how you get these really exciting players that go through these roller coaster type performances where they look like an MVP for a month and then fall apart for a month. And the Patriots, yeah. the Patriots prey on those guys. The Patriots, yeah. nobody beats those guys like the New England Patriots because they sometimes that bread and butter stuff is the hardest stuff to defend. That's why it's that, you know, that's why it's bread and butter because you know it'll work more often than not. So the Patriots say, you know what, if we don't have to worry about that, it's going to be a lot easier doing everything else. And that's how you beat a guy like Josh Allen and the Bills. I, I'm telling you, I look, I think the Bills are still going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying it's locked up that, that, you know, the AFC East in my mind is still wide open based on, this is more me being pissed at everybody than the Bills. Based on what we saw last year and what we heard all summer, the, the AFC should have never been a question. The AFC East should have never been a question. It should never have been a question. I had Bills fans sending me power rankings in August telling me why do I even bother rooting for the Patriots. And you know what? I, I That is the first time I knew that the Bills were in trouble because you don't send August power rankings unless you are wildly insecure about the talent level and the ability of your, your team. Nobody in New England for 20 years was texting their friends in other cities preseason power rankings. <laughs> we might have texted them to each other because the Patriots were too low, but we didn't text them to anybody else because we know that doesn't matter. It's insecurity. It's insecurity, and you're seeing it on the field now. Why? Because here's the thing. They follow that team closer than we do. They may not have realized it. They saw things to be insecure about, and now you're seeing what they were insecure about on the field. Yeah, it is interesting oh, to see Josh really Allen, the the, uh, the prodigal son of Buffalo, Josh Allen, who everybody in Buffalo thought was going to be a perennial MVP candidate year after year after year for the next decade plus. He certainly looks human as of late, right? And, and we'll see what happens. Not to compare the, the two teams, because I, I know I'm going to get yelled at, but this Buffalo team, watching them on tape, Remember the football life in 09 when Belichick said, all we have is Moss over the top or Welker at the sticks and everybody knows it, right? We, yeah. we don't have anybody yeah. else to throw to. We have no running game. We have nothing else that we can throw at people. This Bills offense feels like they have Diggs over the top and Beasley underneath, and that's it. If you take those two things away by putting two deep safeties to keep the top on Stefan Diggs, and you hit the five guys underneath in the zone coverage and cover two to take care of Beasley, there's nobody else to go to. And that's a big problem for Buffalo. On the defensive side of the ball, they give up 264 rushing yards to the Indianapolis Colts. 264, a really awesome schematic game from Frank Reich and the Colts offense in terms of all the different things that they threw at Baltimore at Buffalo in the run game, right? They had, they ran all sorts of different diverse types of schemes. They ran jet motion. They ran different 
kind of trickery where Naeem Hines was lining up in the slot and then taking handoffs from that position out of two back sets. They ran a bunch of different things. Jonathan Taylor obviously ran down their throats. Crack schemes, uh, crack toss schemes, wham schemes the Patriots might be able to use. Uh, they don't, the Pats are not a big zone outside zone type of team. That's not really their, their foundation as a running team. But if Indy can run for 264, the way the Patriots have been running the football lately, you got to think that they would be able to run the ball on Buffalo as well. Yeah, I, I, I more watch that the other way. Is to say, I'm watching the Colts run the ball like that and thinking, well, what are the Patriots going to do against them? Yeah, And this is something where I, I think the Bills screwed up game planning wise. By the way, something else I said two years ago that Sean McDermott's not the guy. Uh, uh, Sean McDermott's not the guy. The, you know, there's going to be potentially three seasons with three successive worst finishes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I didn't like that defensive game plan for the Bills. And I think the Patriots will attack that better. That's going to be a really tough rushing game to stop and i think we're gonna have a ton of fun talking about it i think that's the week after the bye right yeah it's unique it's a unique scheme because wentz does have some athleticism so they can run a lot of things out of the gun and not necessarily always be under center so i think that was the problem that buffalo ran into with that scheme was they had 11 personnel sometimes they had 21 with the two backs naeem hines and jonathan taylor on the field together and they were matching those sets at a lighter personnel because they're worried about the pass game out of 11 and stuff like that. But they were able to run the football out of 11 extremely effectively. So the Patriots are a team that runs out of 21, right? They're a team that right. runs that with the fullback. So it's a little bit different in terms of what they're going to do against Buffalo. But clearly the Buffalo pass defense has been light lights out all year long, red hot, their third down efficiency, uh, their turnover rate, all these types of things have just been electric in Buffalo all year long as a defense, their pass rush, uh, one of the best in the league. So trying to run the football down their throats, uh, it it sounds like probably the best way to go about it at this point. Well, the, uh, just the other thing I think was funny from that standpoint, again, this is where, you know, we'll bring this back up when the Patriots play the Colts and and Wentz looked good at times in that game. I'm not going to say he didn't, but, why are you so worried if you're the Bills about Carson Wentz throwing the ball? Like, yeah. that's what, like, if I'm, especially from the Patriots' point of view, like, I honestly think they can do some of what they did against the Falcons because I think there is some similarities in terms of matching personnel versus what Atlanta wants to do. Now, Indy is a much better roster, obviously, but yeah, go up on the, go in heavy, go up on the offensive line and just dare, you know, all right, Carson Wentz, you got, you know, whatever's left to T.Y. Hilton. Right. Michael Pittman, who's been hot and cold and nobody else. Yeah. He does throw him the ball. Like, if Carson Wentz beats you because he throws No love for Mo Ali Cox. It's okay. Yeah, I, I, I know. It's, but you got to, like, again, they're better than the Falcons. It's not like it's Kyle Pitts and literally nobody right. else. Right. It's kind of that if Carson Wentz beats you throwing for 300 yards, Carson Wentz beats you throwing for 300 yards. Yeah. Force him to throw the ball. Force him to throw, force him to drop back, make the read, stand in the pocket. Like that's where he's struggled. Ever since he came back from that torn ACL, that's where he's struggled. If you give Jonathan Taylor opportunities, if you give them opportunities to run read option and things like that, that's yeah. what the Bills did, and that's where they beat them. I'm taking away the run right away and making Carson Wentz show me what he can do. The Bills got beat. Their defense competed hard. They got beat by the Colts 
with a lot of window dressing, right? It was a lot of schematic stuff from Frank Reich and Carson Wentz was in the pocket. I can't imagine, I have to go look at the stat, but I can't imagine his average air yards per target was very high, Carson Wentz, right? I mean, he was just kind of standing in there and distributing the ball and they were running play action. He averaged nine yards per attempt off play action and they were doing some, uh, a lot of window dressing, motion, uh, different types of points of attack on the running game, different schemes, man schemes, zone schemes. And, and that was, re- they kind of threw the kitchen sink at Buffalo, quite frankly, right? They, they threw everything they had at Buffalo in that defense. So I, I look at that Colts game and I do like the fact that the Patriots run defense and the physicality that they've played with over the last couple of weeks, that, that does lend itself to probably go head to toe or uh, head to head, excuse me, uh, with Jonathan Taylor in that running game. But we have seen in the past, the Patriots fall to those smoke and mirrors types of teams, right? The, the, the right. Eagles, right? It's, it's the same scheme, right? It's the same scheme. So that's going to be a really great matchup as well. All right, let's take some questions. As I mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about a preview Pats Titans on Friday. So we'll do the Can full we talk preview. about one more game. We can. Char- uh, Chargers Steelers. And I know the Chargers won. Yes. But I, I, cause we were having this conversation last night over text and it just needs to be had in person. Yeah. If, even if the math tells you oh, to go, go for it on fourth and short, if you don't have a good fourth and short play, yeah, you can't listen to the math. Yeah. That's just, that's, I, I, I just want to put that out there that this is because I talked about this leading in the Chargers game. I talked about it leading in to the um the, the Browns game at its I don't care if the if the it's the right math decision you're only gonna go as far as the play call gets you and I think last night you saw why maybe some of these complaints about Bill being too conservative early yeah. in the season were over I think that that game even though the Chargers won that game was a great example of why some of the concerns about Bill being too conservative early in the season were overblown because if the math tells you to go for it on fourth and three, great. If you don't believe that you can pick up the fourth and three, just going for it for the sake of going for it is a bad idea. It's bad coaching. You have to believe you're going to be able to get the play regardless of what the math says to do it. That's a point I've been trying to make, and I'm glad we saw it perfectly illustrated last night. So now I have some evidence, even though the Steelers ruined it by playing cover whatever that was to cover negative one yeah. like you know with like four minutes to go in a three-point lead i think it was covered too but they blitzed the slot corner and they didn't redirect on the outside and the safety over the top had no chance and it, it, it was, was a bad you know what it reminded me of the uh playoff game against tim tebow yeah where so they, they blitzed everybody for no reason it was a it was kind of a, a trap coverage essentially so they blitzed from the slot and the flat defender moved into the slot thinking that Justin Herbert's answer to the blitz would be to just throw hot behind it to the right. slot receiver. And Herbert, you know, really good play by Justin Herbert. Right. No, rec- rec- recognized it. He said they ran it uh, one other time earlier in the game, and he did almost throw a pick trying to throw it to the slot receiver at the blitz. And then they fi- sort of looked at the pictures after the fact on the sideline, and they said, if they run this again – we're just going to run Mike Williams up the sideline and he's going to be wide open. And that's exactly what happened. But your point about the fourth down play call, it's the best explanation for the way that the Patriots coached earlier on in the season, right? Which was they didn't feel that they had the 
continuity, the, the chemistry, the practice time, the play call to pick up. It's overtime. It's fourth and three against Dallas. If we don't pick this up, they're basically already in field goal range to win the game. They need one first down and the game is over. They didn't have a play that they felt 100% comfortable with calling. Now that we're in week 12, I would I wonder if they're – thinking would have changed right i wonder it's a really good point yeah i I wonder if we've grown i wonder if if we've evolved from that point on Uh, we'll see well there will be a chance right the patriots are not going to blow everybody out for the rest of the season so we're definitely going to see some more opportunities and and see some chances where i think the biggest the the mac detractors right now the biggest kind of trope that they throw out there is that mac has never had to orchestrate a fourth quarter comeback or or had that signature down by a score game tied with the ball whatever you want to you Even know though that, he that did moment. against dallas but he whatever. did against dallas he did against tampa bay and he basically did against miami as well but all the three of those games unfortunately just didn't end up going the patriots way at the end and nobody remembers unless you win so right that aside we're still waiting for that W right to end in that signature moment where Mac leads the game winning drive and scores with, you know, no time left in the Patriots win. And we'll see if the Patriots. Oh, yeah, he did against Houston win. too. Good point in the chat. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody cares because it was the Texans, right? And that, that's right. that. Even though they just beat the Titans. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries. INSA. I N. SA. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. And so dispensaries are inviting and modern. So come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insta founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insta. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Let's take some questions. If you have questions, drop them in the chat. Uh, Let's start with this one. Alex here, uh, he's been here uh, for a while and he's been asking us a bunch of questions. So let's start with you, Alex. Is there a chance that we could have two rookies in the running at least. I don't know if they're both going to win offensive and defensive rookie of the year because defensive rookie of the year, Micah Parsons is going to win defensive rookie of the year. Nobody else is even remotely close at this point, not just because he's a good player, but he's also on the Dallas Cowboys. So there's pretty much a (laughs) 0% chance that anybody else besides Micah Parsons is winning defensive player of the year, but is Christian Barmore going to get votes right now. Mac Jones, I believe is the favorite for offensive rookie of the year. So that really has some legs. Yeah. You know, I, nothing, not to take away anything from Mac Jones. I think if a quarterback, a rookie quarterback starts 16 games or 17 games on a team that makes the playoffs, he's going to win rookie of the year. I think that's just going to default to that. Um, It probably should be close between him and Jamar chase. You know, Jamar chase has been really good. Yeah. I, I'd probably vote for Mac right now, but like I, it's hardly decided, but Mac playing quarterback, I think, puts him over the top. 
I think there's an argument to be made for Christian Barmore winning defensive rookie of the year. He won't because defensive tackles don't get stats. You know, right. this is kind of the Richard Seymour Hall of Fame case of rookie of the year discussions. Um, but, you know, just, you know, turning on the tape, I test, has there been a better defensive rookie in football than Christian Barmore? I mean, him and Barmore are probably, uh, sorry, him and him and uh, uh, Parsons Mike, are probably yeah. right there, yeah. like Mac and like Mac and Jamar Chase. But yeah. Barmore, you know, they're 1A and 1B right now. Again, they're not in the eyes of the voters because it's not a stat position. Like, really, re- d- d- let me backtrack here. Really, it should be neck and neck and neck between Mac Jones, Jamar Chase, and Creed Humphrey. Right. But an offensive lineman will never win rookie. I mean, that will never happen. They'll give it to a guy who doesn't play first because this league doesn't appreciate the line. Um, but, you know, Barmore is kind of in the same boat where he's been excellent, but at the end of the day, you know, the people who just dry hump stats, they're not going to give it to a defensive tackle. It also hurts Barmore that PFF doesn't like him very much because I'm telling you, I, as much as I hate it to a degree, a lot of these reporters that have notes for these sort of things, they pull up the PFF grades and they definitely use that. You can just tell yeah. based off of the AP all teams from the last couple of years that PFF has had a major influence on who is getting these votes and who's not. And the fact that Barmore is grading out as a little bit slightly below average rookie right now for the Which Patriots. Is nonsense. It doesn't bode well for him. That That's for sure in the rookie of the year. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, like I say, it, it's going to Michael Parsons. It's already over. You can already put his name on the award for better or worse. Should we take the should we take a second and talk about Nikhil? Because yeah, a lot of Nikhil questions. I, I think I want to say this about Nikhil. I really commend him for his effort. He he tries his ass off. Like he really does. It, he blocks hard. He is running routes hard. I, I never turn on the tape of the Patriots offense and look at number one and question his effort. Never. The guy has really tried uh, really, really hard dating all the way back to training camp. The stats in the passing game aren't necessarily there. Not all of that's his fault. Sometimes the reads just not coming to him and the ball's just not coming to him. And we know that the Patriots don't draw up plays, right? What Bill Belichick always right. says, they don't draw up plays to throw it to one guy unless it's a screen pass, but has he earned more touches or more looks uh, with the effort that he's put out there on tape. Yeah. I mean, I've said this, I think when they've thrown him the ball, he's looked good and they've given him opportunities for some of those, you know, contested catch plays that, you know, that's his bread and butter and it took him long enough to get those plays. But I, I wouldn't hate if they throw him the ball more. I don't want to see them force it to him. Um, and you know, he's, he's playing a good amount. He, he played 41% of the snaps last week, 52% the week before that. Yeah. So he's on the field. And I, I'd have to go back and really look and and you'd like to think the reason the targets are so low with that high of a snap percentage is because that he isn't getting open. You don't want to think Max just missing him. Um, and it could be they're, they're running the ball a lot. And he's a good run blocker too, which let's yeah. not overlook that. But I, um, yeah, I, I think he's played well. I think all things considered, he's played well. It's just the opportunities have been limited, but he's made the most of the opportunities he's gotten. Yeah, I would agree with that. I want to look this up real fast if I, my computer will let me. Uh, his snaps on rundowns versus pass downs, right? Because it, it feels yeah. like he's not running a ton of routes when he's in the game. So he, here's what it says. He's run 75 routes so far this year, and he's run blocked 98 times. So he's out there in a lot of ways – his usage is really similar to Johnny Smith's usage, right? He is right. being used 
as a blocking wide receiver in the same vein that Johnny is being used as a blocking tight end. There's so much overlap with those two guys with, with all their issues in the passing game and their skill sets and all that kind of stuff as to why they are producing in the box score in the passing game. Uh, like the Patriots were hoping a first round pick, a $13 million guy in free agency, a lot of overlap there in terms of what's going on. And Nikhil is another one of those guys that most of his snaps, not all, but most of his snaps are in the running game, right? On yeah. on uh, Thursday night against Atlanta, it was 15 run blocking snaps and nine pass routes. In uh, Cleveland, it was 23 run blocking snaps, 11 pass routes. So they're just not letting him run a ton of routes. They're, they're, they're putting him in there to block, and he's a good blocker. Right, he's he's graded out well as a good blocker in PFF system. Uh, his eye eye test is a good blocker. Uh, so that that's something they got going for him with Nikhil. Uh, let's keep it on the blocking and, and the run game. This is uh, for all the fantasy football people out there, but also just an interesting conversation as well. The Patriots backfield touches just distribution moving forward. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson against Atlanta had 12 carries. Damian Harris had 10 carries. Basically, an even split. And uh, Ivan Fears, or who was it, Vinny Sinceri today, I, I think he said that basically the guy that was going to be on the field more was going to be the guy that was more successful, right? If you had the longer drive, they were, they were alternating. One, one Stevenson drive, one Harris drive. One Stevenson drive, one Harrison drive. And uh, as long as you kept getting first downs, you were going to be out there for longer and you're going to carry the ball more. But how do you see this going forward? Uh, do you see this being a complete timeshare uh, like it has been uh, or like it was last week yeah i think that's the most effective way to do it and maybe there's some things on tape they notice where one guy's better for one specific matchup than the other we've seen we used to see them do that with backs in the past but i've said it a million times when you get those guys going and it gets cold and it gets tough to tackle and you can keep them fresh by rotating them the defense isn't changing i mean it just makes them both better so yeah i think relatively evenly splitting them is the best way to go. And I think you'll see the Patriots continue to do that. Yeah. Assuming be, everybody stays healthy. I think they will be split assuming everybody stays healthy. And obviously assuming that Ramondre Stevenson hangs on to the football, right? Because right, yeah. if that happens again, then they're just going to ride Damian Harris like they did in the beginning of the year. But assuming that Ramondre can keeps, keeps playing like this, because even though that run got held back, uh, called back because of the hold, that was a special, special run, right? I mean, the way that his, just his movement in that run to slip the tackles and then be able to have the speed to bounce it to the outside. That was no, I think Damon Harris is a really good player. Damon Harris doesn't have that in his bag, right? I mean, he doesn't have a right. run like that in his bag. So I, I think Ramondre Stevenson in a lot of ways is uh, maybe the more talented player, but I think that they're both, uh, good enough right it's really 1a and 1b and, and they're both good enough to allow both to continue to split the carries but that that reminder is i haven't seen a patriots running back have a run like that whether it counted or not in a long long time you know to to kind of show that kind of uh, elusiveness and and special acceleration i mean that that was something else so yeah that that was special yeah all right talking more uh, awards here Judon, uh, does he got a chance for defensive player of the year? I think he's definitely got a chance. Um, I can pull up the odds real quick. Uh, some of the guys ahead of him right now 
Uh, Trevon Diggs is is definitely up there for a lot of people just because of all the interceptions. TJ Watts had a great year, but he is now injured. Aaron Donald is always in the mix as well. Uh, and then Matt Judon and Miles Garrett are, are the kind of the five that most sites have rounding out the top five for defensive player of the year. The, this happened with Stephon Gilmore to a degree. There was other good players that year on defense, right? When Gilmore won it. Right. But when you're on, the, when you're the best player on the number one defense in the league, if the Patriots do end up the year as the number one defense in the league, he's going to get a lot of votes. So here's the hierarchy of how defensive player of the year works. If there's an elite, elite corner, and that doesn't necessarily mean interceptions, but if there's an elite, elite corner, that guy's going to win it. If right. there's no elite corner, did a linebacker get close to 200 tackles? Like Luke Keeklier, right? When he right. got like, what was it? Like 160, 180 in a season. Like, did a linebacker flirt with, with 175, 200 tackles? No. Okay, so then the third, sack leader. More often than not, it defaults to the sack leader. Judon is in second right now. He is 10 and a half. Actually, right. did, did Garrett get one on Sunday? He was uh, at 13. Yeah, so Miles My- Garrett still leads the league in sacks. I can pull he's up still a little 13. He's still at 13, yeah. yeah. He didn't get a sack against the Lions. Shout out Penny Sewell, by the way. Miles yeah, Will had a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Judon, I think, is in the discussion, but he's if he's not, he's not gonna have the tackle numbers to pass Garrett. So right. he like defensive player of the year is one of the when it comes to voting, defensive player of the year is one of the laziest awards. Cause again, they look all right, interceptions, tackles, sacks. Did anybody have an absurd number of one of those three categories? And if you're not first on one of those lists, it's going to be really hard for you to win it. So I think Judon's played incredibly well. Um, I think you could almost argue he's played better than Garrett, just given this for him to have this many sacks in this scheme. Um, yeah. I think you can make the argument he's played better than Garrett, but again, the, the, the dry humping of the stats, if Garrett finishes with more sacks, he's always going to win it ahead of Judon because that's so, just the way the voting works. Yeah. I also think in Gilmore, I think was a, a lot of the votes that Gilmore got in 19, I also think were sort of an aura thing where it, it was clear that the entire defense was running through Stephon right. Gilmore, right? right? And I do think that there is some element to that with Judon this year where not only is it on the field in his physical statistics, right? His physical right. production, but what he's doing for other guys and what he's doing off the field and his attitude and his his chemistry and just the way that he's leading this football team in a lot of ways uh, from a locker room presence on on the practice field all that type of stuff maybe that is something that us local guys know a little bit more about us beat writers know a little bit more about than some of the national guys voting for this award but that can't be understated like miles garrett's a great player trayvon diggs is a great player as well tj watt's a great player matt judon has come in here and changed the culture of the defense right. in a lot of ways. He's come in here and made the Patriots cocky and confident again in, in a good way uh, for New England, at least not a good way for their opponent. Right. So and there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I, I think the difference is with Gilmore. Remember you, they'd show that stat every week of like him, like the elite receivers in their numbers against right. Gilmore. Right. Yeah. I don't know that that exists for any right. pass rusher. You'd have to like, pull I, out the best tackles he's gone up against and, you know, and it's well, not, you know, right. I almost wish, uh, you know, if, if the NFL had the equivalent of the lady Bing trophy, which is in hockey, it basically goes yeah. to kind of everything you just said, 
Um, it's it. They call it the gentlemanly player. It's not really that. It's more so like kind of like what you said. The guy's the tone setter. It goes to basically right. the best captain. Who's the best leader of their team? Like Judon would be the Lady Bing favorite if there was an equivalent in the NFL by a mile. Right. Um, it's just it sucks because it's such a stat heavy award and and Miles Garrett has more sacks and that's what it's going to come down to and it's dumb but that feels like it's the reality. Yeah, I want to save this question for the end because I I think Alex would would uh enjoy that one let's go back to this one from alex uh if you have questions in the chat uh please uh put them in there i got a two more here though uh, i need to know which question this was now i also have a question for you at the end but anyway. okay well uh, we'll, we'll get to that one here Let, okay. let's start with this one first um in kansas city uh, i tweeted out yesterday watching that that chiefs cowboys game now the kansas city offense for whatever reason started the game red hot and cooled off a little bit as the game wore on. And they ended up kind of winning that game with their defense uh, in the second half. But the fact that they can win games against a really good Dallas offense, I thought in particular the way that Kansas city's defensive line overwhelmed the Cowboys offensive line in that game was really impressive. If you're the chiefs, it feels like the chiefs are probably the best team on paper in the conference. Right. And now that they've sort of figured out some of these kinks along the way and are playing good football again, definitely the biggest danger in the conference. I put them number one ahead of Patriots, Tennessee, Buffalo, Baltimore, all those guys I think are still chasing Kansas city, no matter how the seedings kind of shape out at the end. Yeah. Tennessee was healthy. I'd still say Tennessee, obviously they're very much not. So the the worst thing that could happen to the NFL was the Chiefs finding their rhythm. And that was a game last, you know, yesterday against a team that they don't match up with well on paper yeah. uh, in the Cowboys, right? That That's a game that it really felt like the Chiefs were going to get blown out just based on the X and O's matchup, and they spanked them. So I think that's a big mojo game for Kansas City. I think they got to be feeling pretty good. Uh, we now know that Patrick Mahomes plays much better when Jackson Mahomes doesn't go to the games. So maybe you make that adjustment. You tell them to stay home. You make them stay home, whatever you have to do. Uh, but it does feel like the Chiefs are back and have their mojo back. And that's scary because at the end of the day, it's the NFL. If you have the better quarterback, you're going to be able to win more often than not. The Chiefs have the better quarterback than all but one team in the league. So, and that team's in the NFC. So they're yeah. uh, they're all right. They're, I, I think they're going to be okay. And yeah, that's a team if you're a Patriots fan. A certain, don't let the, where they tripped up at the beginning of the year. Like, you can't say... You feel great about the Patriots now, despite what happened early in the season. Right. And then point to what the Chiefs did and say, oh, they're flawed. Like, you can't. And this it, team is, they've, by going to back-to-back Super Bowls, they've made it into that that tier of team where they just need to be playing good football in January. Right, exactly. Right? You know, it, it yeah. really, the Patriots were like this for years with Brady, right, where September wasn't always very good, October was a little bit better, and then they would just be the gangbusters the rest of the season. The Chiefs are kind of in the same boat where if they have a 2-2 two and two September, it really doesn't matter because as long as they're in the, in the dance in January, they have the best quarterback in the conference. They have a really, really good head coach. Their defense is starting to play better. They're going to be a really tough out for any team, uh, and they have a they have a relatively easy schedule down the stretch here. They got the Broncos twice, who are who seem fraudy at this point. The Raiders, we don't really know what they are. Yeah. Uh, the the Steelers, I think, kind of suck. And then yeah. they got the Bengals and the Chargers are two tough games, but they you know they they should still finish with twelve wins. Yeah. All right. Going to the Patriots' offensive line now. This to me is probably the most fascinating question moving forward with this team. You have this player, and uh, Mike, Mike on you, is but between our eye test, P. 
PFF side test, even the Patriots coaching staff uh, will fully admit that Mike Onwenu is a baller, right? This this guy is a really good right. football player, but because there it isn't just about building a team on Madden, right, and and putting the best ninety pluses out there that you can. The Patriots have found that Ted Karras at guard makes their line better. He makes their line better being inside, whether that's because of Mike on when he was inexperienced, whether that's because of the communication that he brings to the inside as with his center experience, whatever the case may be, Karras at left guard, whether they change out Brown or on when at right tackle, as long as Karras is there at guard, they've been a, a really good offensive line since they've made that move. So they're not going to shake up the interior. Uh, as long as Trent Brown stays healthy, he's the better right tackle right now in their eyes than Mike Onwenu is. So a good problem to have to a degree, but also a bummer that they can't get one of their best young players on the field. Yeah, but again, it's a good problem to have. And it is, you know, it's almost like, okay, you know, somebody's going to get hurt and he'll be back in the lineup. And if he doesn't get hurt, right. you had no offensive line injuries. You're in good shape. Michael Onwenu is still a part of the future of this team. Ted Karras, Trent Brown, both their contracts are up yeah. at the end of the year. Isaiah win a year after that. He's a very interesting trade candidate next summer. Um, I know it's frustrating to not see Michael own when out there. He's obviously a very good player, but it's you, we, we talked about this when they, when we wanted them to move him to tackle, right? We talked about this early in the year when you have your best five to stick with it, stop playing with it. We were right. begging the team to do this all season. Well, they finally found the group that looks like their best five. Unfortunately, Michael own when not a part of it, but yeah. don't screw with it. You have your best five. Just leave it alone. Don't touch it. Just let it be because it's working. Yeah, it, it is a bummer. And I agree with you, though, that Mike Onwenu will have his chance again, right? I mean, he's he's going to be here much longer, most likely, than Trent Brown and Ted Karras. So they'll have a chance to get him back on the field. I think last year, in a lot of ways, they had to rush on Wenu on the field just because their roster was so depleted that they had no choice but to play the rookie, right? And and maybe last year would have been looked more like this year, and they've it's kind of reversed, right? The, the second year has become the right. rookie season. Last year was kind of trial by fire just because of the situation. So, uh, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll get his chance and, and he'll be uh, he'll be back in there. Uh, let's take a Johnny question. Here, I, I think that this is another big uh, talking point right now at the Patriots. Of course, we have to find the one thing that they did this offseason that isn't an A+, right? I mean, the, the right. one move that they made. But uh, looking at this Johnny thing, we talked about it the other day. The contract is what it is. He's on the books for a lot of money going forward. How do they get the most out of Johnny? Uh, can they get the most out of Johnny? Is it worth making Johnny Smith happen? Right. Because I think that there's a conversation to be had in that respect, too, where you don't want to be trying so hard to make Johnny Smith happen that you're force feeding him touches just to have him show up on the box score. So I thought it was really interesting this morning. Somebody asked Josh McDaniels about this yeah. and about how different things were for Johnny here versus Tennessee. Yeah. And Josh McDaniels called him called this a foundational year for yeah. Johnny Smith. And I wonder if it's just, I wonder if the role's more different than we realize. And it's just, it's something they need multiple years to work on and they'll iron it out next year in camp and he'll come back next year and, and he'll be great. Like I just, that calling it a foundational year to me was really interesting. Yeah. He because, compared it to a rookie. 
He's saying right. it's basically like a rookie. And let's remember, we thought this year for the whole team was going to be a foundational year. Right. And that obviously hasn't been the case for a lot of guys. Uh, I just, you know, I'm not ready to write John o. Smith off yet by any means. Obviously, it's been disappointing compared to the money. But when I heard that comment, like, I think they still have a plan for him that's not fully in place yet. And yeah. they haven't had to rush it in because of the way other players have performed. Um, so I, I, I think I, I'm not ready to write him off yet. I think there's still a chance he helps his team uh, over the course of that contract. This year, I'm not very optimistic. But, you know, you sign the guy for a four-year deal, you lose a year, it happens, whether it be injury or whatever. So it's not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world either if they figure it out in year two. Well, yeah, you know, the interesting thing about Johnny is talking to to people about him when the Patriots signed him and, and just a lot of people saying that he's raw. You know, he's a he's a raw athlete. He's not a polished tight end in the essence of air uh, of uh, Hunter Henry. Right. And then I think a lot of Patriots fans, when the Patriots signed these two guys and look, this was team inflicted to a point because a lot of the things that you're hearing coming from inside the building were, oh, this is just like Gronk and Hernandez, right? This is just like right. 2010, 2011. That was the pitch. That's what they wanted to do. You know, that's what the, the foundation of the blueprint is. John Smith's not here in Hernandez, right? He's just not, he's not that type of route runner. Uh, he's not that quick at the top of the route. He doesn't have those types of, that type of feet. He is a much different type of player uh, than Hernandez was. And the Patriots need to find a role for him in the passing game that fits the type of player that he is because he's not a technician over the middle that's going to, you know, when they had Hernandez, Hoswai Juke started because Hernandez would run the Juke series. Hernandez would at six foot right. two, six foot three as a tight end. He's the one running the little option route inside. Then it became Welker and then it became Edelman. And now it, you know, it's become more Jacoby Myers. And, and that used to be Aaron Hernandez. Johnny doesn't have those types of, of feet. He doesn't have that kind of quickness at the top of the route. He is in my mind, the Patriots closest thing on the roster to like a Kyle use check, right? A guy, yeah. he, I think he's truly a fullback or like an H back in their type of system. Uh, they're going to have to find ways to get him the ball in space to make him effective. And I'm, I'm interested to see if they are going to try to do that or if they're just going to say, look, this is just not the fit that we thought it was and, and kind of move on from the player at some point. But if you're going to try to make him into the guy Hunter Henry was, he ain't that. And if you're going to try to make him into the guy that Hernandez was, he ain't that either. Right. So you, right. you, you got to have to find his own sort of niche here. Uh, in this Patriots offense. All right, I got one more fun one for you. And I, I you said you had a question for me. Which yeah. order Which order do you want to do this in? Give me, wh which one did you have saved for me? I didn't see it in the chat. All right, wrapping it up with our guy, Alex, again here. When did the Patriots rebrand their uniforms to start the Mac era? I've actually been wondering this as well. Is there a point in time? I, it, they call it the flying Elvis, right? I know you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a point in time where they retire the, the flying Elvis? Not because of Brady, but just because right. it's kind of run its course to a degree. Yeah. I don't think anytime soon. I think the fact they kept it when they just redid them, uh, means flying elves is here to stay yeah the, the current uniforms like they're not great especially the home ones the road ones the white ones i i can kind of like they're not bad um if they had gray pants with the current home ones maybe it'd be better everybody just looks like blueberries but um so the interesting thing is next year the helmet rule changes where there's been this rule the last couple of years where yeah teams could only use one base helmet shell so that'd be like you know people be like well how can the giants wear their throwbacks or whatever like it's all yeah. 
the helmet is one shell. It's one color, and that's all stickers. You can change the stickers. You can change the face mask. You couldn't. You'd have to repaint the helmet essentially. Um, that that rule goes away next year, which means the Patriots can wear white helmets again, which means they can bring back the red uniforms. So hopefully, like a couple years ago when the Browns changed their uniforms and they were atrocious and everybody hated them. Yeah. You you can't once you change your uniform, like officially change it, you can't change it again for five years. That's the rule. So the Patriots are two years into this. What you can do is add an alternate and wear that alternate the majority of the time. You have to wear each uniform a certain amount. I think they would have to wear their blue one in at least five games. Um, but, you know, you can cross out. If you have a road game in Miami early in the season, they're going to wear white. So you can wear the blue there. You cross that out. You right. can set it up where you're re wearing red more than you're wearing blue. You just lean on the white one a little bit to make the math work. But um, I think we see the red come back next year. And then I think as soon as that five-year window's up, we see something totally new. Maybe the red becomes the primary. Like, that's the only way they're getting rid of Flying Elvis. If they yeah. do it, it's because they're going back to Pat Patriot. It's not going to be a new logo. So, so, so I, I heard that maybe this is in a Wickersham book or or with that that book about the Patriots dynasty. Uh, I forget who wrote it off the top of my head yeah. right now, but I, I had heard that Robert Kraft didn't like Pat, the Pat Patriot logo, and that's that's why they retired hmm. the Pat Patriot logo and moved on to the Flying Elvis was because Kraft didn't like the old logo or wanted his own logo from when he bought the team. Right. You know, just his own kind of imprint on the team, if you will. So I think he is kind of married to it. I, I think he really well, likes it. You know, I think that that's his logo in his mind, you know, that's his so, Patriot logo. So here's the reality though. Um, Robert Kraft likes to make money and the fans, the, the money talks and the money says the fans love the old Pat Patriot logo. Right. And Kraft got his for 20-something years. I think he'd put it aside. And look, it can still be a part of everything. Like, Pat Patriot's still a part of everything. Right. Like, I think the Flying Elvis logo could still very much be a part of everything. Um, but the fans like it. Man, if they bring back those red jerseys and they can really market them, they'll sell so many of them. Uh, yeah. Kraft, Kraft will make enough money that he'll feel better about not having his logo on the field. And it's funny you mentioned that because the other thing is, remember, I, I forget who it was. Some former player brought it up. Bill hates the blue on blue look. He's yeah. not a fan of it. They were once in 02, they lost and he threw a fit about it and said, never again. Obviously he couldn't go head to head against Nike because Nike sucks. Right. But, um, I'm going to guess not Bill wants not the dog Nike. Here's the, no, not the company Nike. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We've heard that Bill is kind of a uniform, like a, not a uniform guy, but a, an aesthetic guy. When yeah. it comes to football, like he's talked about how he likes neck rolls and how he likes the big old school yeah. shoulder pads. I think Bill would be all for a more classic looking uniform and the original you gotta have white... swag, it, it, the, right. the confidence. If you look good, feel good, play good. Right. I mean, exactly. You gotta, yeah. I could see Bill being into going back to the red uniforms. Like I, he does have a little bit of a say in that. And I, that's something that I could see him push a little bit in the off season. Yeah, I also loved uh, Julian Edelman said on uh, Inside the NFL, is it, that the show that he does, that yeah. Bill used to have them change the color of their gloves uh, so that it was the same color as the opponent's uniform so that the refs couldn't see their hands when they would go and engage so, them on blocks, which is just awesome. I mean, that's, such, funny. that's such Bill stuff right there. Edelman said that, and then it was the Falcons game that night, and all yeah. the linemen were wearing black gloves. Yeah. And it like I never thought of it, but if you actually look, he, Bill's 100% right. Oh, yeah. And, you can't see the holding. 
I, I don't even know where I would begin to to research this, but I'd love to. Here's an analytic I'll get so, behind. So that's, a, that's an old offensive line trope is to wear yeah. the gloves that match the opponent's uniform. But build having it trickle down to the receivers and the tight ends, that's, that's just yeah. Belichick's attention to detail, you know, to the utmost extreme, right? Yeah. Well, I saw on Twitter a lot of guys like Josh Schwartz and stuff like that, a lot of the O-line community were talking about how everybody does that in the offensive line yeah. community to, to get an upper hand on the uh, on the hands. Interesting. But wide receivers, I, I, that one that one might just be Bill, right? That I more so want to know how Edelman convinced him that he was above that idea. I, like, <laughs> what did Edelman say to Bill that was like, no, I want my red glove. Like that's, I don't know. If I'm a, I'm a damn good. I'm a damn good blocker. So just let me let me do my. No, thing. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. All right. All right. What, what was your last question here? I gave you homework at the end of the la- that last show. You know I didn't do it. You didn't watch a second of Alabama Arkansas. Toto was great. No, no right. I didn't. Disappointing. <laughs> Well, we'll work on that. The Patriots bye week's coming up, but it, it's bowl season now, right? So it's so a college football. No, one more week. One more week. Okay, right, right, right. Michigan, so, Ohio State's on Saturday, right? That's yeah. this week, right? So yeah, yeah, all the rivalry games. I get into it at, at this point of the year most of the time because it, it makes it easier to narrow down the draft yeah, yeah. process. They are starting right? to send out uh, senior bowl invites. Okay. Kenny, Kenny Pickett got his today. Nice. So, I, I've yeah. really always truly not just uh, – busting chops i've true i've always wanted to go to the senior bowl it's been on my list of things to be able to travel to in the off season just uh last year i was a hundred percent in and the pandemic happened and i you know obviously wasn't able to travel uh but the next time that the patriots are are you know unfortunately not playing anymore and when the senior bowl comes around i'm there I, i'm in mobile because the pats it's an automatic right they're gonna right. draft at least one guy that's at the senior bowl. So might as well go and, and get that. I uh, get eyes on him in person, maybe be able to uh, also, you know, talk to the kid or, or whatever in, in some interviews or something like that and, and talk to a Patriot draft pick before he's even drafted by the Patriots. So that's on my list, whether it's this year or next year, it's definitely going to be something I'm going to get to. And uh, maybe we can go together. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll uh, yeah. You, if you, if you want to pay my way, I'm da- <laughs> I'm very down. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just put it on the card. Right. Uh, All right. So on that note, Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Friday afternoon around our usual time on Fridays. Although it's Thanksgiving weekend for you guys, uh, football unfortunately does not give us the weekend off. So we will see you on Friday to preview Patriots Titans. And I just want to say on behalf of the show, on behalf of myself and Alex, have a happy Thanksgiving, eat some turkey. Watch some football. Be safe out there on Wednesday and Friday night. But enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we'll see you guys Friday to preview Patriots-Titans.